You're listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com. We're here with our good friend, Gary Ball, who is a church planter up in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and doing great work up there. And uh, we are going to have a good conversation with Gary today about about beauty, um, which is something that we know a lot about, right? We know nothing about this. Well, I wouldn't say nothing. We're just not... There's a reason we're bringing in the hired gun. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you and I, we're surrounded by beauty. We're admirers of beauty. Yes, we can appreciate even it. Even if we're but, not sources of beauty. But we realize it's complicated, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So we need someone to help us sort out this whole idea of what beauty is. And so we brought in our beautiful friend, Gary Ball. So Gary, tell us a little bit about, uh, about who you are and what you're doing. Well, that's very nice, guys. I'm, I'm very honored. Uh, it's rare that I'm called beautiful. Um, but we, I'm a church planter with the Diocese of the Carolinas, and uh, we're in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I think we're in our, I don't know, I guess we're in our fourth year or so of this church plant. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's who I am and, and where I am. Um, and just a little background, because I know this is helpful. I taught Gary how to surf mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz years ago (laughs) i knew that was that always makes its way into the conversation and i think your listeners know you well enough to know that that is extremely sarcastic no it's well they should know that it's actually i'm this is genuine i met gary surfing (laughs) out in santa cruz he was a pastor out there when we were out there planning a church in uh that area Mm -hmm. and we hit it off we were friends and ever since then we've been friends and have had Actually, a kind of this conversation is, is years old, actually, in a lot of ways, because I was even watching last night, Gary, I, I dug up an old video of, of us in the garage while you were painting. We listened to music and we talked theology and smoke pipes. And it was just this has always been in the blood for Gary and I's friendship. So this is super old. We'll leave the surfing thing aside for now. Just to say, this is an older <laughs> conversation we've been having for a long time. But but we but already we've talked about the beauty of creation and surfing. And yeah, this part painting of it. Part of it. Uh, right. as well. I mean, we're, right. we're 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 beautiful. So why why are we talking to you, Gary, about beauty? Or Sean, I can I can name that to, for you as well. Why 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 Gary when we're talking about beauty um, and having this conversation? Well, Gary, uh, and let me set you up, Gary, here a little bit, and then I want to take okay. it away because I have some questions for you. But Gary has been asking sure. uh, some pretty complex questions as a church planter and also as an artist himself, a painter, and also as a theologian, just kind of considering the category of beauty and how all of those fields intersect and not just in theory intersect, but then in practice intersect. And I've had some really cool conversations with Gary in the past about the way that art has played a role and beauty has played a role in not only the formation of his community in the church plant, but also in the formation of his community um, as they participate with beauty. So I just wanted to explore some of those stories with you all. And I think it'd be a real benefit, especially to church planters as they're considering um, the role of beauty. And this, if you're listening to this and thinking I should skip to the next episode because I'm not an artist or I have no idea um, what to do about this or you should see the space we meet in because it's awful. It's like this gymnasium or a cafeteria and it smells awful. I should, this is not <laughs> right up my alley. We would say hang in there because it's actually what we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. How do we, as um, often with very little resources, 
Um, and often church planters are not world-class artists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we come about the question of beauty in the context that we're in, in the ministries that we have with the, the limited resources that we have? How, how can we come about this in a realistic way? And also, how can we think about this from a, bl- a biblical perspective with the church? These are all kinds of the kind of questions I want to talk to Gary about. So Gary, to kick this off, um, I want to hear some stories about uh, Redeemer Asheville and how beauty from, um, from your perspective has played a role in planting and forming your community. Can you just speak to that and tell us some stories? Sure. Well, I think it, especially in thinking about where we were going to plant in Asheville, obviously, is a very artistic community. I think people move here from all over the world because it's known from art and not just in, in, a, in a newer, more progressive sense, but even like folk art and Appalachian kind of tradition, uh, art is very deeply ingrained in the culture here. And so as I was driving around praying about where we were going to plant our church, um, uh, West Asheville just came up and, and we just kind of drove through this street and realized, um, especially by just seeing like murals on the walls and, and the appreciation for beauty, that this was definitely the place for me um, for us to plant this church. I felt like as an artist, I was really well, I guess, prepared to be able to relate to these people. Also coming from Santa Cruz, which is artistic and obviously extremely progressive in many ways, Asheville kind of mirrors that. And so I felt like it was a good fit. Um, so knowing that aesthetics were really important to our demographic, um, we just started. And man, it was crazy how the Lord just brought us a ton of artists in our church. And so it's been really easy to, I guess, engage culture on that level because of the people that God has brought us. Um, so we wanted to engage culture, but we also wanted to be formational. So we didn't want art just to be kind of something that was attractive and cool. We wanted it to be formational. And I knew that even just getting people to come to our church, that that beauty was going to be an important part of this. And obviously we have a ton of tools just liturgically and sacramentally, but, you know, we just put a lot of effort into um, creating a, an environment that was beautiful I mean, it's really, I guess one of the things that tipped me off to the kind of people that we were, we were going to be most effective in ministering to was that they wanted to be in a church, that, that, that it was really important for them, that, that space was really important to them, where we worshiped was really important to them, and the idea of like architectural um, catechesis, I guess you could say, like the, the role of where we meet and how that uh, forms them as Christians. And they just have a really uh, a huge appreciation for it. And so, I mean, we do the whole thing. I mean, but we think really carefully about everything we do and the role that it p- plays formationally. So, like, with incense, um, uh, just the idea of mystery and that God typically appeared in a cloud and then ascended in one and that the the clouds descended on Sinai and just the visual aspects of that. And we have, like, all these amazing... Um, you know, pictures um, that we can draw from in our worship. And I think I knew that it was being effective when someone walked into the church last year and said, they, they took a smell, a whiff, and they said, man, it smells like church in here. And I was like, yes, like it's marking out space. And for them, when they walk in here, just the idea of the scent and 
this this sort of hazy cloud indicated that they were in in the sanctuary. So let me. It, it sounds like you're talking about more than just paintings on a wall. Yeah. But you're talking yeah. about smell, architectural space, um, kind of an entire mm-hmm. uh, like um, experience. I, that word is a little touchy, I mm-hmm. think, for people to think. Oh, are we just making an experience? that people are going to like? Is that what makes something beautiful? Can you tell us, when we say beauty as Christians, as the mm-hmm. church, you, you kind of alluded to biblical stories coming to the fore through um, images. Mm-hmm. When we say beauty as Christians, what, what can we mean by that? What should we mean um, by the word beauty? What are you getting at when you say that? Well, I think God is always related to us through our senses. And so, you know, we tend to be, we tend to focus on the good and the true, or we're really good at um, doctrinal explanations, and we're especially good at the the good or the moral realities of our faith. Um, But what we typically leave out is beauty. And Dionysius would say, you know, beauty is God's strategy, and he used that in his effort to reach the Greeks, knowing that that's, that was especially effective in their lives. And Augustine would say the same thing, that, that, that God uh, uses and, and needs beauty. That's what he uses to allure us to himself. And so um, God has always used our senses. I mean, we see that most evidently in the sacrament. Um, and so, I, I mean, how can we how can we appeal to the senses um, and lead people to what is good and true through what is beautiful, which is, I think, I really believe is, is kind of God's, God's intention um, to allure us from himself. I mean, as gruesome as the crucifixion is, it's, it's beautiful, right? And this is what allures us um, to, to God. And I think that even when we're talking about space, people who are attracted to art in terms of painting typically have an appreciation for um, all of the senses. Um, and I think God has given us so many of these these ways already that we read biblically to draw upon, um, whether it be vestments or um, incense or even bells you know, that allure, alert us to what is happening, what is, um, uh, when something significant happens and we tend to raise our eyes and look and see. And so I think we should draw from those things. So Gary, what would you say to folks who, um, who start to hear us talking about art and paintings and, uh, and space Mm -hmm. and how God forms us through beauty. And there's a certain, uh, there's a certain persuasion of folks, certain people with a, with a particular background who who might on one hand start to roll their eyes a little bit or on the other hand might mm-hmm. have um, red flags that would pop up for them because they'd start to think uh, they'd start to think, oh, it, see, this is this is detached emotional kind of fuzziness when what we need is is doctrine and what we need is we need security and safety. What would you say to those folks who would, who would, would hear what you're saying right now um, as kind of a, as, as a challenge or, or something that could lead to something more, more dangerous? How would you, how would you bring them back over to, to your side of thinking on this? 
Yeah, I definitely don't think appealing to the... I don't think that we should hear imagination and think imaginary. Um, I don't think that... And I think we should be careful of, I guess, what has been called historically fancy or... Um, applying our ideas to to something or everyone has their own interpretations of something or uh, you know those sort of things and but I do believe that um, uh, we also need to be aware on the other side I think that enlightenment especially conditioned us to start thinking about our faith in rational um, explanations. And I think there were also pitfalls with that in the sense that we we did in many ways lose our imagination. We lost mystery. And so I think that there are pitfalls on, on both sides that we need to be aware of and they need to be held in tension with each other. So I also hear Dan's question kind of along this line too. What we need is biblical preaching, not pretty things. Um, and that... I, I can sympathize from where the critique is coming from, um, but speak, maybe you could speak to this. Um, how is when people? And by the way, I think when people say use biblical as an adjective, I think they just mean to say like true, <laughs> like or I don't know. They just yeah. kind of hijack that word. But what they're getting at is like we need good preaching. Um, we need true yeah. preaching. Um, Gary, can you instead sp- of is what you're, you're, yeah, you're setting up of, either or is what you're right saying. instead of. Like, if we had to choose, we just need good preaching and not beautiful things. Um, how is that a misunderstanding of what we mean by good preaching? Like, is there beauty in preaching? Can Does does preaching need to be beautiful? And what does that look like? What stories should we be telling? How, how, did, how did Jesus do this? Like, can you speak to what we would even mean by good preaching from a beauty perspective? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, a patristic... Um, way of talking about scripture is especially imaginative. And so I love to read um, our church fathers and, and to listen to the imaginative ways they talk about scripture. Again, not imaginary, but imaginative and beautiful. And that was, that was really for them, I think, um, a way of conditioning us to look at the world in such a way. And so I think that preaching, yeah, I think it should be beautiful. I mean, liturgically, um, all around word and sacrament i mean they're they 're hearing the gospel every week. I do believe the sermon um, should be um, beautiful it should be um, centered around uh, Jesus and inviting us into um, into his life um, through through preaching so I think that 's really really important i 'm not sure how that um, answers your question, but I, I really do try my hardest to be poetic when I preach because I think it is uh, it is artistic. And if you look at the church fathers, um, they were extremely, I mean, it's hard to imagine that they weren't artists because their, their, um, their words were so descriptive and beautiful and poetic. Um, and I think that was a part of what they were doing and believed that it was important. And so I think that it's important in our preaching, too. Yeah, and I think that part of what I'm getting at underneath this is kind of the duality between form and function, mm-hmm. right? Who cares about mm-hmm. the form as long as it functions? As long as people hear mm-hmm. the biblical preaching or the gospel message, it doesn't matter the form. It just needs to happen. And so you kind of have this kind of iconoclastic uh, tendency to just get rid of all the clutter, quote-unquote, whatever that is, get to the heart of things. But, Gary, what I hear you challenging about that presumption is... Um, that at the heart of this is beauty. There is something that 
uh, as we encounter God and want to come near to him and see him and participate in him, that is beautiful. So beauty isn't clutter. It's not peripheral, but it is something more central to like the means by which we see and encounter the living God. Would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's easy, I mean, especially for people who aren't artists to see, you know, what is beautiful is fluffy. And I think Dan was talking a little bit about that earlier. And that is that is the farthest thing from what I'm speaking of, especially when it when it comes to preaching. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that, it, you know, doctrine is important, but I think we tend to we tend to focus on what is good and what is true at the expense of what is beautiful. And that's not what I'm saying. I, I would suggest that we use what is beautiful to um, point more deeply into what is good and true. Um, because it is through it, the sim, uh, what, what symbols symbolize are more, more real than the, than the symbol themselves, you know? And so pushing through themselves to show what is good and true um, is important. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think when we first started this conversation, you threw out there a a very profound assumption that, um, that is, that is normal for you because you've processed through this quite a bit, but might, but might be, um, something that, uh, that some people haven't thought through as much is that you you started this conversation with the assumption that beauty is formational, um, that that it's not just it's not just decorative, um, but that but that it's actually a part of forming disciples and forming followers of Christ, which is what we're hoping to do with preaching with conversion and and formation and uh, and the other disciplines in the church as well but but you I mean you came right out of the gate saying that that beauty is formational that there is a there's a there's a functionality to the form um, because because beauty can help create followers of Christ and and deeper pursuers of holiness uh, as well just by its existence as being a part of, uh, of creation that points us to the creator even as well. So do you want to unpack that a little bit more of just, of just, uh, that, that assumption that, that beauty is, is formational, um, and helps make disciples? Yeah. As church planners, especially, I think that we tend to think of art, um, uh, as an, as a tool, and so we we sort of design our services or we design our space to be artistic and sometimes even with limited artists in our congregation we just sort of say well art is cool so let's do it and i think that starting from a place of formation is is the mo- is the best thing that we can do and not think about um making our space cool or making it attractive or trying to get people to see hey we can relate to you look at us we're artists too I think thinking about it formationally is is the place to start, and I think that there are, you know, there's a precedent for this um, precedence for this biblically. Um, so we 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 do some things. I'll just try and give some practical examples. Um, we do um, we challenge our artists to think about the seasons of the church year, and so we have, you know. You know, whether it be ordinary time, we have green banners and and we have art that would accentuate the the time of year that we find ourselves in. And so when people walk in, they wonder, you know, why the green and what the associations are and stuff like that. But also, as I said, like um, the the smells and the bells and different ways to 
um, not just say, hey, look, we we are high church or look, we're trying to be um, liturgically savvy, but but to really use these things formationally, as a matter of fact, we always ask ourselves that as we're doing it. Are we just doing this because we want to do it or because we think it's, uh, you know, uh, might appeal to a certain group? Or do we feel like these things are formational? And we actually use it as an opportunity for catechesis in our church to talk about why we're doing these things. Um, we also do Stations of the Cross. I love the Stations of the Cross because when we assign it to our artist, um, it's, it happens to be during Lent. So they get to spend their whole Lent thinking about one station of the cross. It's just a really great formational opportunity for them as artists to think really in depth about that station, but also to slow down um, and to consider what that particular station means for them and, and to allow the Holy Spirit to work through that opportunity. But also, I mean, then it, then it engages our... Um, our community. We had a lady who works at a art co-op next door to our church walk in, and it, it was rare because it's hard to get people, obviously, to walk through the doors of the church, even for an art exhibit. Um, but she walked in and and spent some time with the art and and reading the prayers, and she walked out and she looked at me, and her jaw was sort of hanging, and she's like, "I have to admit, I did not expect." this from a church and what she was saying is she didn't expect that level of talent <laughs> from the church <laughs> that that we've become kind of associated with like um uh kind of fake um uh replications of what they would call mm-hmm. real art and so it was very it was it was formational in her life and in the life of the artist um and so i mean i think that it really, I think for the most part in our church, it allows us a moment to explain uh, why beauty matters, why we do what we do, um, and why it's formational in our lives. If it's not, honestly, we just don't yeah. do it. Well, you know, I mean, I think a great example of this is the church calendar, right? The church seasons. I just had a great experience this week. Um, we are working through our discovery class, our new members class at at the at our. Uh, at my church plant outside of Atlanta. And um, it just so happens that this time as we're going through the discovery class, we have we have a few different couples who have a Presbyterian background. And so they man, they are solid in their doctrine, right? They just they 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 know the doctrine and, and as we've worked through the Nicene Creed and such, there's a lot of, you know, head nodding and yes, 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 right on, right on. Um, um but as we've as just this past week we started working through what is the the Christian year, what is the church year? What is the, the, the calendar that we follow? What are the, what do the colors mean? What, what's the experience of this? Why the time of preparation before we have this time of, of feasting? And why do we fast from alleluia's uh, during, during Lent so that we can hear that word alleluia, he is risen during Easter. And we talked about objective spirituality and subjective spirituality. I mean, it was just a really fantastic conversation. And to hear them say, it, you know, this is, this is just opening up a new experience experience in our life with Christ, whereas um, where we've known him for a long time and we've followed him and we've studied him, but this, this, this um, wrapping our lives around the rhythm of the life of Christ so that he pervades every aspect of who we are is new and, and profound. And, and I think that's just the use of that's This is what you're talking about, of the use of beauty um, that, that moves beyond just 
um, it, even just the creeds. Like it doesn't it doesn't go against the creeds by any means. It illuminates the creeds. It sort of um, it allows us to have an experience of of our of our relationship and life with Christ and the truth of Christ. Um, that that we that we can tangibly take part in every day of our life, and and so it's beauty that uh, an aesthetic that that does that oftentimes. Yeah, it does. I, and the the metaphor that's typically used in in this sense is sight. You know that every week we come in and our sight is conditioned so that we begin to see the world differently. Mm-hmm. That when we come to church. Um, that we begin to to see the world in a different way. And I think that that's what the sacrament does. That's what um, the church calendar does. That's what the liturgy does. And we begin to see the world new. I really think that it illuminates um, uh, and conditions our eyes to be able to see the world um, anew. Um, I think that's the role of the church calendar even as you lay it over the top of of uh, the calendar that we use, that we can go into the world and arrange our lives in ways that contradict the the different ways that we've been conditioned to live in the world, and 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 all that we do in the church should should condition us to see differently. Gary, I think that this is a good spot to actually take us under the hood. I know you're doing your doctoral work on this topic. Um, and from an Anglican perspective, there is some wealth for us here to kind of dig up and, and maybe even rediscover for some. Could you tell us just briefly, um, what, what is, what's under the hood for you theologically, um, intellectually? What's the project that's going on for you, and, and how do you hope that that can actually translate into the life of the church? Can you just take us through a quick tour of your work? Yeah, Um well, my work is dealing basic, mostly with the 19th century Oxford movement um, and kind of looking at some of the things that they were dealing with and seeing some parallels in our world today. So obviously they were dealing with rationalism that kind of was born in the Enlightenment and that just starting to see that some of the more scientific approaches to our faith, more explanation-driven kind of doctrine had sort of suffocated the church from a lot of its imagination and mystery and so the way that they sought to revive revive the church really i mean and and i think what what gets lost in the oxford movement sometimes in its confusion as this like ceremonial revival is their desire to see a personal holiness in the lives of of those who who go to church and so they believed that, that it was suffering. And so the way that they wanted to revive the church was recovering a patristic hermeneutic that was um, more imaginative. And so I began to look at that, and Sean and I went to Oxford last year to study, and primarily Ed, Edward Pusey and, I mean, Keeble as well. I mean, these guys were um, poets as well in many regards. And so the outcropping, what came out of the movement was a 19th century Victorian arts revival. And I was like, what? I was like, I wonder what, if this is connected, if this art revival was connected to a hermeneutic. I mean, is the way that we read the Bible, um, does it have um, the ability to inspire an arts movement that is, you know, something that we all look back on in awe? And sure enough, I mean, there's connections to typology in particular particular, the way that reading the Bible conditioned them not just to look at 
the connections with the Old Testament, but the way that all of creation spoke of God and seeing the, the uh, poetic connections between um, even nature and the way that God reveals himself as, as the source of all that is beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the trail I've been running down recently. And thinking about even the way that we um, liturgically, sacramentally, um, even in our hermeneutic, um, the way that we interpret scripture, how that forms our eyes, how that kind of creates in us a sacramental vision um, and inspires and revives, especially our artists. So that's kind of the yeah. nuts and bolts. What's fascinating to me about that is if that this is true, that the Victorian art revival is kind of connected to the Oxford movement's desire to read the scripture typologically uh, like, you know, the, like the fathers did. If that's true, and that translates to our contemporary setting in some way, then the church's beauty can not only teach us how to read scripture with the church, um, even preaching and using images and showing those connections, but is it, do you think that there's some potential for the church's beauty not to be locked up in the church, but to be kind of poured out into the streets in sparking imaginative, um, enlivened, more beautiful expressions of art in the world that aren't cliche Christian art. Like this doesn't mean go and paint Jesus on a mural and somewhere in your town, right? Um, not necessarily that's bad, but um, like, what do you see that this could spark, could um, uh, ramp up in a largely nominalist, non-Christian secular world outside the doors of your church? Like what, what effect might this have, or would you want this to have in your people so that such that you would see it on mission in a sense out in the neighborhood? Could you talk to that for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that our artists kind of, I guess they become interpreters of these types that are all around them that, that they're the people who kind of good. I mean, and never everyone can do this, but I think artists are especially conditioned to be able to have, like, these eyes to see or this imagination to be able to think about like what are what are the things around us revealing and how can I interpret that on a canvas or how can I interpret that into a a painting or, or uh, in a poem stuff like that. And so I hope that our artists, go, especially our songwriters, go in and begin to look at the world and become inspired to be able to write symbolic songs so that some sometime after a show, someone will come up to them and say, you said this, what, what did you mean by that? Um, it doesn't mean that they outright you know, sing a song about um, the atonement or whatever, but it does begin to cause people to think about you know the world differently, and and um, uh, yeah, New Begins line I love about you know living our lives in such a way that people begin to ask the questions to which the gospel is the only answer. Mm -hmm. And I pray that I pray that our artists begin to um, cause the world to start asking questions and to see it differently, to begin to interpret things that they've walked by every day in new and fresh ways and say, you know what, I've walked by that my whole life and I've never seen it like that. And I think that could be in regard to justice issues, um, that, that they could be prophetic in those ways. Um, but it wouldn't just be an imitation. It wouldn't just be um, them mirroring um, what they see materially, but it will push 
push the viewer or the hearer through those material realities to embrace something more real, which is the spiritual reality. Wow. I, I have like a million questions and I hope, and I know <laughs> that our listeners are hearing this thinking, um, this is just kind of cracking the door open on this whole yeah. room that I didn't know existed in the church. Yeah. Uh, that is this wealth of the beauty of the gospel and the formative effect that has on our lives and even the way that it changes the way we see the world and our neighbors. Um, Gary, I, I, what, how would people get a hold of you? Because I, th- I hope that this um, pushes along and stirs up this conversation. It's a much needed one. And for us as Anglicans, I feel like this is a conversation right at our fingertips because we have such a treasure chest of beauty um, to be utilized that's um, not to be used like a tool, but again, uh, to participate in the gospel in just really natural ways for us as Anglicans. We have all of this right at our fingertips. How would folks get a hold of you um, and ask you questions and interact with you on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I think just email would be best, gary at redeemerashville.com. And Asheville has an E, A-S-H-E. Um, yeah, I'd love to interact um, and talk, continue the conversation. Well, okay. So let me ask one more real quick question. Then we've got to land the plane here and and uh, and and go. So yeah. t- in in a in a two two minute response, um, <laughs> how uh, what do you do with planters who are listening and going, oh yeah, man, this just this makes my heart explode. I love this. I want to see this in the church that that I'm planting. But I live in the suburbs, um, and we're full of pop art and uh, and uh, and chain restaurants and um, and SUVs and and I don't have any artists and I don't I don't know what I don't know what to do with this. How do you? What's the two minute sort of practical um, encouragement for them on how they can start to pursue art um, in their in their church plant as well and beauty. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to pick who comes to our church, and uh, I think a lot of people... That make things easier on a lot of different levels, actually. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people go into a church and they say, or go into a church plant and say, this is the kind of church I have, and the bottom line is that God brings his church, you know, and we don't get to pick that, and so I think really being able to identify, you know, the gifts that God brings you, and honestly, I don't know if those skills are going to... initially be artistic i would say don't force it because there is art out there that it's it it appears forced and it appears to be kind of like um used as a tool in ways that aren't necessarily appropriate or helpful and so i wouldn't force it but i would begin to incorporate it into um, worship use like sean said the tools the wonderful um, gifts that we've been given as anglicans and the kind of the sensory worship uh, opportunities in the sacraments and and, and uh, incense and things that appeal to the senses and then I would say just use art so we don't have a traditional altarpiece or painting behind our altar which would be wonderful one day but we rent space and so I just I, proje- I we the only reason we use a projector on Sunday is to project one image and so we have an image up on the screen each week and so it's usually something like Caravaggio or some beautiful picture that accentuates what we're what the the lectionary readings are for that day and man I think it really ignites something in the congregation the participants that are there and so I would just say slip in those opportunities and also think about um, explaining how they might relate to what what you're doing on that day and and instill 
uh, not just a love for art, but a love for what is beautiful as the means of projecting what is good and what is true. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, Gary, we're, we're so thankful for you and for, um, and for the planting work that you're doing. And then also for, uh, I, I'm so excited that you're engaged in this, this scholarly and, um, and theological study as well on this. I think it's, it's, it's such an important topic. Um, and uh, especially in the culture that we live in right now, I just think it's really important. And I think Anglicanism is uniquely positioned to be able to engage in this conversation and our services, our worship services and our in our rhythm of life together as a community is is uniquely suited to be able to incorporate art and beauty and, and aesthetic into uh, into who we are and what we do. And so um, I'm just thankful that you're a, that you're a thought leader on this and that you're that you're both missional in the way that you think. And um, also, uh, and and also, just really good at what you do within the in the art world as well. So we're thankful for you, and thank you for your for your time today. And, and hopefully, people will get in touch with you as uh, as they um, as they have more questions as well. Absolutely, thank you guys. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Gary. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Always Forward podcast. Visit us at www.always-forward.com for more resources, to submit your questions, or to interact with us. See you next time.